Thank you for listening to the Cross Loganville's podcast. We will continue our series on hurry. So if I had to title this conversation with you today, I would title it Seeking Godly Success. Okay? Seeking Godly Success. So if you were writing out a working definition yourself of success, how would you define it? Right? That's a, I think that's an important question because pretty much every person you meet, if you ask them, do you want to be successful? They'll say, yeah, yeah, I want to be successful. If you ask pretty much people, across the board, people, do you want to be a failure in life? They go, no, I don't want to be a failure. Well, if you want to be a success, it would be important to be able to define success in a proper way. Here's a working definition, and I'm going to break down many terms for you uh, this morning. But true success is having wisdom and skill to do life in such a way that honors and glorifies God. Bam. A person who is successful is doing everything they can before God to acquire as much wisdom and insight and skill from God uh, so that they can glorify God with their lives. Here is just a continuation of definition, if you will. Success is faithfully using all of your gifts, talents, abilities, and opportunities that you've been given for the advancement of God's kingdom here on earth. I would say that's success. I had a brother years ago tell me that success was having those closest to me love me and respect me the most. I'm like, that's a good definition right there. But true biblical success is the wisdom and skill, utilizing and leveraging the gifts, the opportunities, abilities, everything God's given us for the advancement of his kingdom. That being said, we would conclude that success is not uh, about accomplishments. It's not about accumulations. It's not about your personal achievements. That's not necessarily uh, success. Here is a key verse I want to build this entire message on. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. Proverbs 9, verse 10 says this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If success is having wisdom and skill to do life in such a way that honors God, the scripture says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. I think people hang up here, Steve, oftentimes when it comes to this fear of God piece. But fear of God for me is having proper knowledge of who God is. It's having accurate knowledge of the Holy One. Fearing God literally means that I have decided that knowing God is more important than anything else in life. And as a result of that, God gets my reverence, he gets my attention, he gets my allegiance, he gets my adoration. The fear of God is all about giving reverence, attention, adoration, and your whole being to that God. I've concluded this. There is a God. I am not him. I desperately need him 24-7. That's my conclusion. Life is designed by someone greater than me. And as a result of that, I want to know who that is. I want to know him in a personal way. A.W. Tozer in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, is one of the great reads, if you will, in the early 1900s. And I read that book because it focuses in on nothing more than knowing God. 
I made this observation years ago that if you look back, Trey, this is interesting to ponder. If you look back at the books that were written 100 years ago, the books were all focused on he is. All of a sudden, there was a shift over the last 30 years where the majority of books were written on how to, how to have a better marriage, how to uh, better steward your finances, how to raise your kids. The books that were written 100 years ago were all focusing on the glory and holiness of God. And we, for some odd reason, have bought into the Christian life is about how you do things on the horizontal. It's not. It all hinges on how you do things on the vertical. Listen to what David said in Psalm 39, paraphrasing. He said, Lord, I need you. I am an alien on earth. I cannot make it. I don't have a clue. I need you. Anybody else feel that way? Man, I'm just an alien. I felt like I'm a misfit. I don't even know how I belong here. But Lord, I'm clueless. I can't make it without you. Even Moses declared in Exodus 33, I'm not going to make one more move unless you are right here with me to lead me and instruct me. Those are great statements right there. So godly success, I would, I would, I would share this, and I think this is so important, even based on what we study in Scripture, observation of David, observation from Moses, godly success is being so desperately dependent upon the presence and power and perspective of God that your life is shaped by your continual need for that God. Come on. I believe that's what God is calling us to, right? So again, we must ask ourselves the question, am I desperately dependent on God? If people walk with you every day, would they say that you're desperately dependent on God? That dude is so locked in, he's so pressed in. His allegiance, his adoration, his, he wants to walk with God. So I would tell you that if you do not study the scripture, meditate on the scripture, read the scripture, and apply the scripture, you're probably not desperate for the Lord. And if you're not reading and studying and obeying, I would tell you the reason you're not doing that is because you've got too much confidence in yourself. Think about it. We're going to lean into something. We're either going to lean into the logical or the theological. We're either going to drift toward the natural realm of reasoning or the supernatural realm of reasoning. And it's like, well, why don't you study and why, why don't you read and why don't you ponder the things, in, uh, the things of God? Because I've got too much confidence in myself. And God is opposed to the, the proud. So the fear of the Lord the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So how much wisdom do I have? How much wisdom do you have? I didn't ask you how much knowledge you had or how much information you have, but the question is wisdom. Even James would say, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God. 1 Corinthians 3, Paul writing to that confused, chaotic carnal church in Corinth. He makes this statement, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God. So then let no one boast in men. It's like, do you not realize that the best man has to, to offer is foolishness before God? Because God so transcends anything that the natural man can come up with. 
Proverbs 4, 7, the beginning of wisdom is acquire wisdom. The beginning is acquire as much wisdom as you can. How do you get wisdom? Well, wisdom is knowing and understanding who God is. He is the Holy One. Even Jeremiah would say, don't boast about your wealth or your riches or, or your strength. But if you're going to boast, boast of this. Boast that you know and you understand God. We'd go, that, that would be wise. That person knows and understands God. God is holy and God is just and God is graceful and God is merciful and God is wrathful. You hear me? Oftentimes we elevate the attributes of God that we feel like we need the most, but we oftentimes neglect some of the sovereignty of God and the character of God because we don't want to hear it. But I can honestly tell you we gravitate toward that love, mercy, grace piece, but God is also a God of wrath. Study the scripture. Study how God deals with people. So if you're going to live a wise life, I would tell you this, it's going to hinge on you knowing God and doing what is right daily in his eyes, right? So elevating our own intelligence, we would say that's foolish because we're finite. God is infinite. God is smarter than you. God is smarter than me. And if anything, I need to know God. I need to know the word of God. I need to know the ways of God, the will of God. Is something I wrote out. If being smart means you have the ability to acquire knowledge quickly, then being wise means you are slow to forget the things of God. I, I can acquire knowledge quickly, great, but a person who is wise is slow to forget the things of God. The things of God permeate and saturate and slowly drip into his mind. And he goes, I'm slow to forget these things of God. I've got to have them. Knowledge... Let me give you a working definition here. Knowledge is basically having an awareness of certain facts. person has knowledge. Knowledge is cheap today. It's so easy to acquire or pursue knowledge. Wisdom is having a godly perspective plus the ability to make sound judgment with those facts. So we would say that knowledge plus understanding plus timely application leads to wisdom. And we live in a culture where people oftentimes lean into that which is knowledgeable and not that which is wise. We was talking to a young man here in the last month, and he's in his young tw uh, early 20s, and he was talking about here's what he wants to do, and he wants to start a church, and he wants to do it this way and that way. And I was sitting there listening to him going, man, this kid's got a lot of ambition and a lot of knowledge, but he don't have a lot of wisdom. And, and, and you get it. You get wisdom from experience. You get wisdom from trusting God. You get wisdom from applying the principles of God when you're going through those challenging times. Here, here, here's the challenge for you. And the rest of this time is just going to be very practical and very principle-oriented. I would challenge you over these next days and weeks, even as we've stopped, try to eliminate hurry as we try to implement the practice of solitude and silence, practicing Sabbath, simplifying everything, I, I would challenge you, make it your resolve to know God, not oida, cognitively, gnosko, experientially. That's the word he uses for knowing God. I'm going to give you some principles here. And everything I'm about to break down for you can be implemented 
It doesn't matter if you've been walking with the Lord for, for two weeks or for 20 years. It doesn't matter. I promise you, if you will implement these, it will absolutely help you move towards success, wisdom, understanding, etc. One, be passionate about what matters. If we're not careful, we give our time and attention oftentimes to things that don't matter. Vince Lombardi, I've got my Packer people here in the front uh, right here. But Vince Lombardi said, winning is not a sometime thing. It's an all-the-time thing. You don't, you don't do things right once in a while. You do them right all the time. Which means if I'm passionate about what matters, I'm going to focus on the right thing and keep doing the right thing, even if it's the hard thing and not the popular thing, all the time. Paul would say, and I, w- I, w- I would say this was part of Paul's mission statement of his life. Philippians 1.21, people quote it, but Paul made this statement. He said, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul said, you know what's right and what matters is living for Christ. If I had to shrink everything down, because even Paul would say in other places, all of those credentials and that great resume, if you will, of his past, circumcised on the eighth day and a part of the Sanhedrin and a studied scholar, Paul said that is all rubbish in in comparison to knowing Christ. He goes, you want to know what matters? You, you want to know where you should anchor? Every, everything about your life should be about knowing Christ in a deep, personal way. You girls are doing that, that devotional stuff or uh, your sisterhood thing. It's a beautiful thing. And uh, Anna Grace, when, when uh, Kara, you sent that to her the other night, and that's going to be part of one of those devos, I sat there and was watching this young girl, man, break down. And it's all about Christ. It's all about knowing Christ. She's blown away that Christ would want a relationship with her. And I'm sitting there going, I love this. This is as centered up as anything I'll watch. This is better than even what Piper wrote. It's sincerity. It's believable. I just want to know Christ. The fact that he wants to know me blows my mind. I would tell you, principle one, implement it. Be passionate about what matters. Two, how do you get there? You have to exercise discipline daily. You've got to. I've got to be disciplined. I've got to be a self-starter. I, I want to do the things of God because discipline is essential. Without it, you won't grow. Without it, you won't mature. Without it, you won't, will never develop. You've got to have discipline in your life. And Paul would write to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, discipline yourself and train yourself for the purpose of being godly. The word discipline, train, is the Greek word gumnaza. It's like spiritually sweat it out, work it out, struggle through it. I guess. So so what what are you saying? If you're going to know God, if that's your resolve, and you go, this is what matters, then you're going to have to discipline yourself and exercise these practices and rhythms and disciplines that allow you to be conformed into the likeness of Christ. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7 says, endure hardship. How do I endure hardship? By staying disciplined on what matters because when I go through the tough times, I go, God's with me and he's going to use this to mold me and shape me to becoming more like Christ. You want to be successful? You want your life to count? Then I I, I would tell you, hey, there's no shortcuts. You got to get up and do it again today and get up and do it again tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. And I I don't 
I, I don't even recall, I don't remember the last time that the Word of God was not central in my life every day. I don't say that in a bragging way, I say that in a very humble way, that that's been the foundation for me. It's just getting up and hanging out with the Lord, and worship, and pray, and just diving into Scripture. I'm like, God, i got to have it. Here would be a third principle. Be committed and be focused. You've got to stay committed and focused. Uh, the quality of your life right now is in direct proportion to your commitment to be all you can be and the best you can be for the glory of God no matter what you're doing. The quality of your life right now is in direct proportion to your commitment and resolve to be all you can be and the best you can be for the glory of God. And I think so many times we struggle because we, we give God kind of like uh, a half-hearted effort here and there, and we don't spend time with him. He goes, if you're, if you're going to really grow and if I'm going to really stretch you and use you, I mean, your commitment to Christ is going to determine whether you view the Christian life as a spectator sport or a participator sport. Your commitment is going to determine how much skin you have in the game, how often you show up. How often you're encouraging, blessing, encouraging, and, 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 and just coming alongside other people. I promise you it will. Here's another principle. Uh, here, here's another verse that goes along with that. Paul said in Philippians 3, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. I do not regard myself as having arrived. But one thing I do, I'm forgetting what lies behind and I'm pressing toward what lies ahead. I'm pressing toward the, the goal of the upward prize in Christ Jesus. Paul, what, what, what are you saying? He, he, he said, uh, I'm not looking back. I'm not going to allow my past to define me. I'm pressing one day at a time into the future. I'm going to do life out of the windshield, not out of the rear view. And so many people, man, their life is defined by just looking at the rear view of what's behind them with all these regrets. And they just live defeated. And Paul goes, you don't, you don't have to stay there. Paul, what, what, what matters to you? Knowing the gospel? What matters to you? Sharing the gospel with other people. And I would say, man, that's pretty much my life. That should be pretty much all of our lives. What matters? Knowing the gospel, knowing Christ, knowing him in a personal way, and taking his love to, to Loganville and beyond. That's, that's successful. Here will be another principle. Be willing to pay the price. Jesus said, you got to count the cost. And I would tell you, i got to be willing to pay the price to be a disciple of Christ. Hebrews chapter 12 says, why don't you throw off, why don't you just cast away anything that hinders you from running the race? That's what he says in Hebrews 12. Let us lay aside every weight, encumbrance, and sin that so easily entangles us. So the question would be this, Addie, what do I need to give up in order to be successful? What do I need to let go of if I'm going to walk a successful life before God, what, what do I need to release in order to grow and mature? I, I would tell you, for some people, it's a bad attitude. For some people, it's a destructive habit. For some people, it's unhealthy relationship that you're involved in. For some people, it's just a misplaced priority, man, and you've allowed that priority to overtake you. For some people, it's your right to be right. You just got to be right. Which, if you have to be right, guess what? Everybody else has got to be 
I'll look at this going, man, I got to be willing to pay the price. There's a price to pay. If I'm going to walk with the Lord, if I'm going to be conformed to the likeness of Christ, you want to talk about the elimination of hurry and busyness and stop chasing after things that don't matter. (sighs) Lord, all right, I'm going to simplify this thing. I'm going to practice Sabbath. I'm going to spend time in silence and solitude. I want to pay the price to be all that I can be for your glory. Here's the last one. You've got to develop godly character every day. To those he foreknew, he also predestined to conform into the likeness of Christ. And a simple definition, if you will, of character. If people ask me, they're like, give me a working definition of character from a biblical standpoint, Brian. I would say it's becoming like Jesus. That's it. Every day, God is doing something to shape me and mold me and to conform me more into the likeness of Christ. What is your conclusion? Jesus, my Savior, Lord, Master, Authority, etc. But Jesus is my spiritual coach. He is my life coach. He is my model. And I personally tell you, I've got to have him 24-7. I've got to have the Lord with me. Here's four simple practices to grow and mature in your journey. And I promise you, these are just things that I've learned over the years. One, if I'm going to grow and God really is going to use me and develop me and mature me, have the courage to risk failure. There's so many people that play it safe and they sit on the sidelines and they never engage in the game. You've got to risk failure. Uh, if I go share with that person, I might, I might say something stupid. Yeah, you might. You might. But when, when you risk it for the kingdom to walk by faith, I would tell you this. Are you going to mess up sometimes? Yeah. But when you mess up, learn from it, quit making excuses, admit your mistake, accept it, get back up, and learn to just keep failing forward, failing forward. The Christian life really is a, a lot about just learning to fail forward. I was walking. I was running. I jacked it up. Get up. Let's go home. Allow me to conform you. You got into the flesh a little bit there. It's okay. A second thing I would tell you, if you're going to really succeed, grow up and mature, you've got to train your thinking as much as you do your body. And we live in this culture now. Dallas, we know this. There's, there's so many gyms and so many fitness plans and so much of this. Jamie, we know all this. I promise you this, you better be training your thinking more than you're training your body because even when Paul said bodily exercise is of little profit, he didn't say don't train the body. He said in comparison to godliness, it's not going to last. Train your body, but more than anything, you've got to learn to become a critical thinker and you've got to comb through arguments and you've got to be able to sift through what is true and what is false and what is fallacy. Another part of this growth for me is understanding my weaknesses and say, I want to strengthen those areas. Every one of us have weak areas. If you're going to grow, it's like, all right, this is a weak area for me. I was talking to our buddy Luke on Friday, and he was, Luke Jones, and he was telling him, he's like, here's a weak area of mine. I said, so what are you going to do about it? Pray and ask the Lord to, to grow you in that area specifically. And then the, the, the next principle I would share with you is you've got to have vision. You've got to dream of things that have never been and believe they're possible. I mean, we're staying, we're just going to stay in the rut. I remember, like I'm getting ready to turn 59 
uh, here in a few weeks. But I remember like leaving my 30s. I'm like, I'm about to turn 40. And I remember working this stuff out. I'm like, Lord, I do not want to try to duplicate in my 40s what you originated in my 30s. I want you to do something fresh in my 40s. Give me vision. I was here. I was about to turn 50. And again, I was praying, Lord, I don't want to duplicate in my 50s what you originated in my 40s or 30s or 20s. I want to press into you. Give me fresh eyes to see. And I promise you that's going to be my prayer as I go into my 60s. It's like I don't want to just try to duplicate something you originated going, all right, I got that. I'm good. I'll coast. I don't want to coast. And it's like, man, I, I want to have fresh eyes and I want to be able to see what God is up to. All right? You want more principles? Here it is. Stay with me. If you write these down, I promise you they'll help you. All right? So, so seeking godly success means this. This is true. This is 101 for me right here. I will believe what God says to be true about me. Period. When I read the scripture, I'm going to believe what God says and believes to be true about me. God, what do you say is true? I say what is true is that you're loved, you're forgiven, you're accepted. I, I, I tell you, you have worth, you're significant, you're my child, you're my friend. These are all these verses I just highlighted and underscored years ago. I'm like, that's what you say to be true about me. Yes. What is true is that I've called you to be my disciple, being all you can be, the best you can be for the glory of God. I've called you to go into the world and be a disciple maker. I've called you to do this. That's true about me. That's true about you. You're loved. You're accepted. You have worth. You have significance. Do you really believe that God will equip you for any task that he may give you? You believe that? You see, where there's no commitment, there's not going to be any equipment. But where there's commitment, God says, you've got the commitment. I'm going to equip you to do this now. And I think a lot of people play it safe. They never step out of their comfort zone because, again, they trust their own intellect. They trust their own knowledge and intuition, like I said earlier. And it's like God is going, are you going to trust me? Do you believe that you're more than a conqueror based on Romans 8, 37? Do you believe that you're more than a conqueror through Christ who loved you? Yes. Do you really believe that nothing is going to separate you from the love of God? Yes. Romans keeps going on to that. What shall separate me from his love? I've got to learn to believe what God believes and says is true about me. Second, I've got to crawl on the altar every day as a living sacrifice and say, I will be transformed daily. God, you can do whatever you want to. Romans 12 even says that. You crawl on the altar as a living sacrifice and you go, transform me. Which means, Blake, we've got to be willing to go through whatever necessary changes God wants to bring about in us to develop us to look like Jesus. I'm yielding to your transforming grace. I need it. I don't want to stay here. I don't want to have the same thoughts or attitudes or actions. Are you being transformed daily? Do you know that the potter is reshaping you, the clay, every day and making you what he wants you to be for the glory of God? Ephesians 4 is one of these passages for me. Listen to this. Put off your former conduct. Take it off, throw it away, put it off. 
Put off your old man and all the flesh patterns that had nothing but deceitful lust with it. Remember last week I talked about greed and worry and lust and all these things that we battle? Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Be renewed. Put on the new man which was created according to God in righteousness and holiness. So, so you know as well as I do, when you start to walk with the Lord, the Holy Spirit, he blows the whistle and says, that's out of bounds. That's your old flesh. That's your old nature. That's your old patterns. Now lay that aside and put on the newness that I'm wanting to bring about in you. Guys, I promise you this is transforming right here. What else do you do, Tim? I will receive God's unconditional love. You know, this is where a lot of people, they get hung up right here. Well, God loves him, but he doesn't love me. And I, God's still mad at me, and God doesn't forgive me, and, 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 and I'm still walking in the guilt and shame. One of the keys in becoming fully alive in Christ is waking up in the morning and laying there going, God loves me unconditionally. God is for me. And if God is for me, who can be against me? God loves me. When you really start to believe that the Father above that created you in his image, that redeemed you with his blood, that has poured out his Holy Spirit to dwell within you, when you start to believe truly at the core of who you are that that God loves you, you'll start to walk toward deeper growth and maturation. Next week, I'm going to talk about hope, but here's a great verse that I'll use next week. Romans 5, 5, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who God has given to us. I'm like, oh, God, you love me. You're for me. You agape me unconditionally, sacrificially. You're just for me, yes. And if God is for you and he loves you that way, then that neighbor who irritates you or that family member that gets on your nerves, guess what? God loves them. They might not be at a place where they understand it or can receive it yet. But you go, oh, God loves them. God's for them. And, and they still gravitate toward things of the flesh, man. But it's not satisfying them. Oh, God is so for them. And if they ever realized how much God was for them, they would not want even, they would not even want to chase those trails and satisfy their flesh any longer. And you, you think about that. Man, God loves them. God's for them. When we started having kids, I'm like, ah. Oh, I love this little girl so much. Ah, oh, I would do anything for her. I would die for her. I would give my life for her. And then all of a sudden, we're pregnant with number two. And I'm like, how could I ever love another child as much as I love this one? And then all of a sudden, I get Benji, and I'm like, oh, I love him. I would do anything for him. Then three, four, five. But what God started showing me is, hey, you, you see how they're helpless and they're dependent? There's a lot of people that you meet that are chronologically adults that are still in stranded adolescence because of wounds and pain in their life and they don't know they're loved. I'm like, 
and the, going to pick up my little grandson yesterday and him spending the night and I look at him and I'm like, oh, I love that little dude. But he don't know where to go at times and what to do and he's dependent. And I'm like, yes. Do you love him based on his performance? Do you love him based on his GPA? Do you love him based on how hard he can throw a baseball or how good he can shoot a basketball? I'm like, maybe he'll do some of that stuff in the future, but no. And we should love our neighbor the same way. You see, if we ever start to wallow in the unconditional love and acceptance of God, I don't have to be right. Because that is right. Here's another thing that was a game changer for me as I started walking in the love of God. Principle four would be, would be this. I will believe I am forgiven and clean. This one changed my game. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. The game changer for me as I started to believe that I was loved was, yes, I do believe you've forgiven me, but it was a different thing when I'm like, I'm clean before God. I didn't, I didn't have to carry around that weight of, of just lustful, sinful, just filth and vileness of the past. I go, oh, I'm, I'm clean. And if God saw me as being clean, as being holy, as being righteous, I wanted to honor him. Here's another one. You can do this. I promise you can. God can do this in your life if you will yield to him. Make this your, your pledge and vow. I will control my thought life. I will take every thought captive. I will do that. 2 Corinthians 10, he, he says, man, we're destroying every argument and speculation that's raised up against the knowledge of Christ. Eugene Peterson in the message, Philippians 4, 8. Oh, he captures this in a great way. He goes, fill your minds with and meditate on things that are true and holy, pure. Things that are authentic and gracious. Fill your minds, meditate on the best, not the worst. The beautiful, not the ugly. Things to praise, not things to curse. Dwell on these things. I'm telling you, it was a game changer for me, Hazel, when I realized I can take every thought captive and I can choose what I think about because my thinking de determines my emotions and my emotions drive my actions. And when you see actions, you go back and go, well, that's attached to emotions, which is attached to thinking. So if we can get the thinking right, I, I will choose to take my thoughts captive. Here's another one for me. I will choose to be a difference maker. I'm just going to choose to be a difference maker. God's going to use somebody to make a difference. Might as well be. Might as well be me. Yeah, yeah, but your, your SAT is not high enough. And you're, yeah. But the family you came from, man, you don't have this, this spiritual church marinade in you. And yeah. Do you know we use excuses all the time of why we will not be a difference maker? Why God will never use us to make a difference in anybody else's life. And I read scripture and he goes, hey, do you believe what I say to be true about you? Yeah. Well, I have sent you in this world to be a difference maker. I have raised you up as salt and light to go out into this world 
to be a difference maker. I have sent you. I have put you on this planet at this certain time to send you into the world to influence and impact this generation of people. Me? Yeah. I've got you right where I want you. People say oftentimes, man, I wish I would have lived in the 40s. Well, guess what? You don't. You live right now. Right? Well, I, I just struggle with the world. Well, the world has always been corrupt. Maybe the manifestations now have some different faces, but it's always been jacked up. Philippians 2, 15 and 16 says, you are children of God in the midst of a crooked and perverted, perverse generation. You're children of God. That's who you are. Now go shine as lights in this dark world. Who? You. Me. Go shine. Yeah, but this is a crazy world. And it's a crooked world and it's a perverted world. I know. But I've placed you here for such a time as this. Go shine. You want to live a successful life? You, you really want to live a life flooded with wisdom? These principles, I'm telling you, they start to unlock me. Here's another thing for me. I will not be afraid of adversity. I'm not going to be afraid of it. Are you going to have adversity in this world? Yes. Jesus said in this world, you're going to have trouble, chaos, confusion, and problems. Well, I, I'm just afraid of adversity and conflict and trouble and problems. Jesus said, in this world, you will have. Why be afraid of a promise that Jesus said, you're going to have this stuff happen. You're going to be attacked. You're going to be ridiculed. People are going to mock him, curse you. They did it to my son. They're going to do it to you. Ephesians, putting on the armor. Listen, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. That's not who we wrestle against. We wrestle against principalities and powers, against the rulers of this dark age right now. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm. Yes. You're not wrestling against flesh and blood. Satan wants to take you down. He wants to eat your lunch. He wants to cause you to be useless and ineffective. And he just wants you on the sidelines. Hey, take up the full armor every day. Take it up. Where you can stand. Where you can do battle. You afraid of adversity? You afraid of tension? Do I feel like it's God's call to go out and start fights in our... No. But when it comes my way, it's like I'm renewing my mind. I'm showing up, Brian, every day. I want to be, I want to be paying the price, man. I want to lay aside anything that would hinder me. Here's my conclusion. I wrap it with this. If you've repented of your sin and placed your faith and trust in Jesus only, you're an overcomer through Christ. I'm an overcomer. 1 John 4, 4 says, you are from God. And you have overcome. Because greater is he who is inside of you than he who is in this world. That's where I land. 
success, having wisdom and skill to do life in such a way that brings glory to God, leveraging every gift, ability, talent, resource, opportunity for the advancement of the kingdom of God. You want to talk about God's not in a hurry to grow you. He's going to take his time. You got to slow down. You got to stay on the altar as a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice can choose to crawl off the altar. You've got to choose to stay on it. And you go, now I want you to conform me. Here's my challenge. I would challenge you to decide that knowing God is more important than anything else in life. That's only a decision that you can make personally. You can't live on borrowed convictions and hand-me-downs. What your mom, your dad, or your spouse believes is not going to be sufficient. It is a personal relationship. And I would tell you, when God gets my ultimate reverence, adoration, attention, allegiance, and I'm submitting to him, it starts to free you up. When you start to do that, I promise you, you will, cast a, you will cast aside and lay aside a lot of this stuff that's weighing you down. Here it is. And be so desperately dependent. I love that phrase. Desperately dependent on the power, the presence, the perspective of God that everything I do in life reveals my continual need for him. I challenge you to know God in a personal intimate way gnosko experiential repent surrender and release it all to him